Well, good morning. It is, uh, it's good to, to have summer and to be outside, but let me just tell you, I'm happy to be back in the chapel for church today. I don't know if anyone else feels the same way, but I don't have to worry about an outdoor service or what the weather might hold, and it's just very comfortable uh, to be back into what feels like a home for us on a Sunday morning, and so maybe you feel the same way. Some of the different things we've done over the past number of weeks or a month or so, we had church camp not too long ago, and Taylor mentioned that and the theme song that we sang, and I'm glad that we brought that song back into our regular singing on Sunday morning. It's been an encouraging song to sing with you, and I'm looking forward to singing it some more. Another thing we did at church camp right near the beginning is we played some of these icebreaker games, and we all went into the the gym there at Gimli Bible Camp, and then there was different Uh, questions that were given and different criteria, and we had to group ourselves according to that criteria, like your favorite uh, thing, your food to eat or your favorite color. And we even had uh, grouping ourselves in uh, in hair color, and so everybody was blonde, was over here and brown. And then there was my my youngest red-headed son (laughs) standing right in the middle of the gym all by himself and just owning that hair color all to his own. But one of the criteria that we were given is we needed to get into groups according to our greatest fear. And I was like, oh man, I have so many. I don't even know which one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm afraid of that too. It was like a a buffet for someone who's afraid, right? And then there was a few intrepid souls that were like, no fear, not afraid of anything over here. And I was like, no, not afraid, no fear. I was both skeptical and more than just a little bit jealous. But I would say that no fear is not a good way of putting it. I would, I would contend that we are all afraid of something. That, that fear is very much a shared human condition. It's, it's something that we all need to experience, that we all need to face. And according to the promise of Scripture, that we all have the ability to overcome. We are all afraid of something. Though, of course, we are afraid of different things which is why that icebreaker game can work because we can group in in different fears, afraid of heights over here and spiders over there and clowns in the far corner, all afraid of different things and to different extents. Some people, the fear is a little blip on the emotional radar. For others of us, then we might be shackled by this fear. But it is a shared condition, which is why we can uh, read a Peanuts cartoon strip like this and agree with Charlie Brown. Perhaps you're going to agree with him today. Do I have my strip up there? Life is difficult, isn't it, Charlie Brown? Well, yes, it is. But I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. (laughs) Maybe that's how you feel with fear. But no matter what your experience has been up to this point, I think it is going to be worth our time together over the summer to look at what Scripture has to say about fear, knowing that it's so prevalent in our lives, but also knowing that it's talked about so much in Scripture because in Christ we have this ability to overcome. The question for us is not ultimately about our fear, but our response to fear. Which is why I do think some people at church camp could say in honesty that in this moment in their life, they do not feel afraid. That is their response to the fear that they have encountered in their life so far. And as Christ followers, knowing the sufficiency of what he has accomplished on our behalf, knowing what he has already overcome We are called to a life that is not driven by fear or shackled by fear. We are able to overcome. And this is what we want. And this is the journey that we want to go on, knowing that it's not going to be linear, that there's going to be some twists and turns and ups and downs, knowing that we're not going to plumb the depths of what the Bible says on this topic in one Sunday, but we are going to begin. And today we're going to start with a good first step. We are going to acknowledge our fears, 
by looking them in the eye. Before we go further, let's pray together. God, we have, have sung, especially in that final song together, of, of the fact that our shepherd, you, our shepherd, will guide us, that you lead us through the valley, that you protect us, and that the night has been won. And I love that promise, that as we feel in a valley with our fear and anxiety and worry, if we are in this dark night of the soul, God, that that is exactly what you sent your son to overcome in our lives. And so, God, I pray that we would be people of that promise, but that we would also be honest with ourselves. Today, we want to look inward and to see what the state of our hearts is when it comes to fear. So, God, give us this ability to be self-aware. Give us this ability to be honest with ourselves. And please speak your truth into our situations today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So yes, today is exactly what we want to do. We want to look fear in the, in the eye. But this is hard because fear is uncomfortable. As an emotion, none of us enjoy, or maybe I shouldn't say none, very few of us would enjoy feeling afraid. It's not an emotion. It's not a state that we want to be in. So there's this natural tendency to avoid our fear, the very opposite of looking it in the eye. One way that we do this is we ignore our fears because ignorance can sometimes feel like bliss. A good way to ignore your fears is to avoid any situations that make you feel afraid. And as soon as you're old enough to clue into those things that make you feel afraid, you will spend the rest of your life avoiding those situations. You're afraid of heights? You stay on the ground. You're afraid of flying? You get off the plane. You're afraid of the dark? You sleep with a nightlight, no matter how old you may be. Again, you're afraid of clowns because that's a thing for some people. You just don't go to the circus. You can usually avoid clowns if you do that. We don't want to put ourselves in those situations because fear is uncomfortable. Now, I'm hoping you're able to think along this whole sermon this morning and think about your own fear and how you may avoid those situations. But one uh, well-known example is the late, great John Madden, who was an NFL player and coach and commentator, probably most famous for being the creator of the Madden NFL video game franchise. But one thing John Madden was very well known for when he was a commentator is his fear of flying. So if he would call a game in Philadelphia one Sunday and he needed to go to San Francisco the next Sunday, he wouldn't board a plane, but he would get on the Madden bus, this big tour bus that he had decked out, and he would drive all the way across the United States to get to where the next game would be. And it was a, a bit of a uh, an exciting thing for fans to catch the Madden bus on the freeway if they could catch a glimpse of John Madden getting from point A to point B. But he spent his whole career avoiding the thing that made him feel the most afraid. And we all do the same thing. Fear is uncomfortable, and if we can't ignore or avoid it, we can also attempt to control the, the things that threaten us. We can try to, to, try to control the elements of those uh, um, situations that bring us any fear or anxiety. And for many of us, that might be health-related things that feel so much out of our control. A number of years ago, I was playing church hockey in Stonewall, and one of our goalies, and the most important people of any church hockey league, one of our goalies that came every, every week was a retired teacher. And as we got closer to Christmas, he was complaining about feeling unwell, and, and his energy level, he just couldn't uh, have as much energy as he used to, and he had to miss a few weeks, and he finally went to the doctor, and he received a diagnosis that, that all of us will fear or dread to some extent. He had terminal cancer, and he had a few months to live. And 
that all ended up being true. A few months later, he passed away. And that sent our church hockey league into a, a little bit. Of, we were reeling a little bit. and We didn't know how to wrap our hearts and our, our minds around this. But, uh, but it was good because we could, again, speak the hope of Jesus into that situation. And I still remember a conversation I had with a gentleman who was coordinating that league from our church. And we talked about how it, it is a bit scary not to know what's going on in our bodies sometimes. He shared a story of a, a one friend of his, and, and, and when she turned 50 years old, she was so afraid of what might be happening that she asked all her friends and family to pitch in together, and she went to a private clinic, and her gift for her 50th birthday was a full-body scan so that she could know exactly what was happening because that would make her feel less afraid. So when we can't avoid or ignore our fears, we still want to try to control them in order to make sure that we are not driven or overcome by our fear. All of these ways are, in, are ways in which we, we don't look fear in the eye. We, we deal with it on the peripheral, but not at the root cause. There's also this temptation to minimize our fears. When we have to experience them, we downplay the significance of fear or worry or anxiety in our life. Saying, well, this again, pastor said, this is a shared human condition. I'm not that afraid. It's not affecting me to any great extent. It's not really having a negative impact on my life. Sometimes we want to downplay them. Everybody's afraid. It's no big deal. Now, as I mentioned last week when I was uh, wanting to introduce this series, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about fear is because I am still learning so much about it. This has been an ongoing struggle in my life and in my relationship with God. And he has taught me so much, and I'm still learning so much. And so there will be some times and moments, and I'll share a personal story. And, and, and just uh, take it for what it is. This is me being honest with you so that you can be honest with each other and with yourself. But I had this tendency to minimize my fears. And, and as it became more prevalent in my life, I continued to kind of push it to the side. It's no big deal. And finally, I went to the doctor, and she said, okay, well, give me an example of, of anxiety that you're dealing with. I said, okay, well, I was at this dinner party, and, uh, and, and I was having a conversation with someone, and somebody over there, a conversation I wasn't even a part of, was mentioning that she knew of someone else who had a friend that got the flu and then went septic and almost died. And the minute I overheard that third-hand story of a conversation I wasn't even a part of, my stomach dropped, and I broke out in a cold sweat immediately. And I said to the doctor, but that's normal, isn't it? She goes, no. No, that's not normal at all. And she starts writing a prescription like right in front of me. And she's like, you need help, you know? I said, what? And it had gone to the point where, yeah, I had dealt with anxiety for so long, but I was, it was almost like that frog in the boiling water. The intensity had increased, and I wasn't realizing the impact it was having on my life until it all kind of came to a head. I was minimizing my fear instead of looking it in the eye. Of course, we, we don't want to do that because acknowledging our fear makes us feel vulnerable and weak. So I will admit, it's hard for me as a pastor to get up in front of you and say, hey, I deal with fear and sometimes I deal with it to a large degree because this, this makes me feel vulnerable. I wish I could get up in front of you and say, I have this all figured out. I'm never afraid. Just like the Bible says, I should never be afraid. That hasn't been my experience. But if we are, are too worried about appearing vulnerable or weak, if we're too worried about the uncomfortable feeling of fear, we'll never deal with the root cause of fear in our life. And that is what we want to do. That is my challenge to you. To, again, be honest enough with yourself to look fear in the eye to get down to the core root of the problem. Because often, these different types of fears are symptoms of a greater cause. 
We need to dig down deep. Well, our first step to overcoming fear is to look at head on. And there are some good reasons for why we should do that. One good reason is that it paves the way for us to receive peace and comfort, which are promises from the Bible when it comes to our experience with fear. Now, I'm going to quote from this book a few times during our series. It's called Running Scared by Edward Welch. Um, This is a, a great book, one that was very formative for me in my journey on this topic. Edward Welch is both a psychiatrist and a pastor, and so he can speak from a very knowledgeable perspective and from a Christian worldview. And much of how I've chosen to construct this sermon series will be based on things that I've read from Welch, but ultimately we will go to Scripture for our authority. But he has some very good and positive things to say. Uh, One of the quotes here talks about this um, idea of of facing our fears and then receiving the blessing of comfort. He says, rather than minimize your fears, find more of them. Expose them to the light of day, because the more you find, the more blessed you will be when you hear words of peace and comfort. So don't ignore them. Don't avoid them. Don't minimize them. Don't leave them in the dark corners of your heart. Grab a hold of them. Drag them into the light. Name them for what they are. And then you will be able to receive in full those blessings of peace and comfort. That is one reason why we ought to look fear in the eye. And the other is that fear is not to be ignored. Instead, it can be a great teacher or revealer of our own heart and our own soul. Fear can teach you about yourself. Then I'll share another quote from Edward Welch. He says, Listen to your fears, and you hear them speak about things that have personal meaning to you. They appear to be attached to things you value. And this was one of my aha moments when I was reading this book and really praying and seeking God on the topic of my fear and anxiety. He says, Listen to your fears. They are attached to things that you value. So you will understand more about yourself. You will understand more about how you can overcome when you recognize not just the symptom of fear, but what it is tied to. Because the first thing that we learn is that fear reveals what you love. Fear reveals what you love. They are always attached to things that you value. And they're, you're fearful with what you value in two ways, two different sides of a coin. You are fear, you're fearful and anxious over not getting something that you want, that you love, that you desire. You don't have it, but you want it, and you can be afraid that you might not get it. Oh, this happened for me in spades as my family and I were anticipating our trip to Arizona in April. We hadn't gone anywhere for about three years because of COVID. We had not been able to go see Karen's sister and her family, and we just desperately wanted to be with family. We wanted to go on to a a warm vacation after our our eternal winter here in Manitoba. Uh, We wanted to get away from the Colorado lows. Uh, We wanted, we had spent all this money. We had bought ball tickets and and hockey tickets, and we, we had these activities we were invested in, and I was so afraid that something would happen that would derail that trip. I was worried, okay, what if we get COVID again before the trip? Or what if, because we can't prove we tested positive for COVID, we trip up a test and then, and then we test positive and have no proof and then we aren't able to go? What if the restrictions go backwards? What if, what if the floodwaters come, rise too fast and we can't get to the, the, the airport in Grand Forks? And, and some of you know, you're laughing because I told you about these things. You know that I was worried. And I was worried about not getting something that I so desired to have because fear reveals what you love, what you want the most. But there is the other side of that coin where you can be fearful and anxious over losing something that you have that you love 
and desire and cherish. And, and probably the greatest and most strong example we have of this is, is hanging on to our life, of the fear of losing our life or fear of losing a loved one. Those people in our lives that mean the most for us. And of course, we can be most afraid when it centers around a person or someone or a life that we love and cherish the most, including our own life, the fear of death. Or according to some surveys out there, a greater fear might not be death, it might be glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. As Aaron mentioned he had, I didn't mean to shingle you out, I mean single you out. <laughs> oh man, Freudian slip. You can, you can take a little bit of joking with it, can't you, Aaron? You're a good sport. <laughs> good. Good. Um, I still prayed for you, just so you know. I should maybe tell you. I was praying for you, and apparently those prayers were working, so take that into account. But glossophobia is the most common phobia ahead of death, spiders, and heights. Approximately 75% of the population will list fear of public speaking as, 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 as one of their, if not their number one, fears that they go through in life. Now, I think we can take that with a, a bit of a grain of salt. No one would a, a, agree that dying would be better than speaking in public, but it is a shared fear. And one of the reasons it's, it's shared is because this is a type of social anxiety. And so this is something that in my own personal stories I don't talk a lot about because I don't have a lot of social anxiety. I have no problem getting up in front of you and speaking. That's not a shared common phobia of mine. But these social anxieties are a fear that many of us will share. You worry about what people will think of you in a given situation. And all of these different forms of social anxiety tap into the fear of rejection, the fear of losing something you value, a loss of significance, a loss of respect, or a loss of community. You know, you say, if I say something dumb enough, I can never come back here again. I have to go somewhere else, you know? Time for a new church because, ah, I can't believe I said that. So even social anxiety, in which we might always go through our life thinking, this is just me being awkward socially or worried socially, it still is tied into this fear of losing something that you value because fear reveals what you love. And again, our goal is not just to, to put a name on it, though that's what we're going to do today. We're largely going to diagnose, but we want to dig deeper. Look past our fears into the things that we desperately love and desire the most. So the question I give to you, what do your fears say about you? What do you love the most? And your fears will speak volumes on that topic. Now, there are many great biblical examples on this connection between fear and love, but I want to talk about the story of Jacob in Genesis 32. For those of you not familiar with the story of Jacob, he was the younger son of Isaac and Rebekah, and there was a twin boys that were born. He was the youngest of these twins, the oldest being Esau. So Esau was the one that was first born and in line to inherit all of what it meant to be a, a child of the promise given to Abraham and Isaac and then should have been Esau. But Jacob was devious, and he tricked Esau out of his birthright by trading him stew when Esau was famished and hungry after hunting. And later on, he tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. Instead of Esau, when Isaac was old and blind, Jacob pretended to be his older brother and received that blessing. So he got the birthright and the blessing that he did not deserve, and he tricked Esau out of it, and his older brother was predictably furious so angry that Jacob had to flee home for fear of his life. Now, while he was away, God blessed Jacob, and he started a family, 
and became incredibly wealthy, though that's a whole other story, and it did not all go according to plan. You can read that for yourself. But eventually God calls Jacob back home with all his family, with all his wealth, and as Jacob gets closer to home, reports come to him from his advanced scouts that Esau is riding out to meet him with 400 men. An incredible display of force, and his intentions are unknown. And then I want to pick up in verse 7 of of chapter 32, and we see Jacob's response to his brother coming with those men. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Now listen to this final verse. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. So Jacob was certainly afraid. And what did that fear reveal that he loved? Well, he was afraid that he would get attacked, but he was also afraid and fearful of the women and the children in his camp. He wanted to protect his family. His fear revealed that his family was a top priority to him. Interestingly enough, he did not have the same reaction to his great wealth and his possessions. Just a few verses later, in in, in verses 14 to 15, we see that Jacob gets a huge gift of wealth, all these livestock, and he, he throws this gift at Esau, hoping it will appease him so that he will not attack what he loves the most, which is not what he owns, but is the women and children, his family in his camp. Fear reveals what you love. We are going to take one step further and say that love and fear are connected elsewhere in Scripture, but they're connected in such a way to remind us that they are not compatible. So not only does this fear reveal what we love, but we know that love pushes back against fear, something that we can all read in 1 John 4.18, where the apostle says, there is no fear in love, none. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So John here is speaking specifically in the context of of fear and punishment and what love does in that context. But I think we can broadly apply this and know there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So not only does our fear show us what we love, but it also leads us to the perfect love, the love of God displayed in his son, Jesus Christ. And when we trust wholeheartedly, when we desire that love above all others, then fear will get pushed out of our hearts. There isn't room enough in our souls for fear and love to sit side by side. Now, in the basement of my home, our kids, our boys, we have this train set. And especially on a rainy day, every once in a while, I'll build a train track with them. And then we'll connect the train cars and we'll go all around the track. And they connect with this magnetic connection. And when those poles attract, the cars will snap together and you can pull them all the way along. Yet if I were to take one of those cars and turn them around so that those poles would be opposing to each other, then I could actually push one car without touching it all the way around the track because they are repelling each other. 
And that is exactly the type of lesson that John is teaching us about that relationship between fear and love. That that love of God, which is so perfect and complete, will repel and oppose and push out the stronghold of fear in our life. So then our task, as we continue to learn on this subject over the summer months, becomes much less on focusing on what we are trying to get rid of and much more on what we are inviting into our heart and our soul. Our focus is on grabbing hold of that perfect love of God, and as a consequence, that fear will get pushed to the side. When you truly love God above all else, you are now well on your way to overcoming fear. And we're going to talk about this much more in the weeks to come. Now, not only does fear reveal what we love, but there is a second related important lesson, and that is fear reveals what you trust. What you trust. Love and trust are, again, related. You can love something so much that you will put your trust in it to fulfill you. I want to share another quote from Welch on this. He says, Love, an intimate relationship, is linked to trust, a personal allegiance. That's how he defines trust. Trust reveals the center of our worlds. When we have fears about our financial position, we might be revealing that we trust in our money. The phrase evokes images of authority, even kingly authority. When we are afraid we don't have enough money, money is probably enthroned in our lives. So this isn't just about love. It becomes about allegiance, devotion, trust. Now fear reveals not just what you hold dear, but what or who you expect to give you certainty, security, and fulfillment. What or who do you trust? Now I'm going to make an example here of this relationship because I think COVID has has been a great revealer to us of of how fear drives us to to show what we trust. And so I'm just going to say what I've observed, and and I'm going to be careful here because I'm not going to put any value on any of these camps. I'm not trying to put you in any of these camps. I'm just saying this is what I have seen in very broad strokes. And, and, And I'm not going to avoid it because I think this has been playing out right in front of us, the relationship between fear and trust. So if you were to be afraid of the pandemic, afraid of the virus... And I've seen many people look to the government and say, well, we need, to, we need to look to them. It's their job to protect us. And so they will come and give restrictions and rules, and we all abide by the rules, and we can all stay safe. And that fear has shown that they trust the government to take care of them. There are many others who are afraid of, of the virus and some of the havoc that it will wreak in their lives. Uh, and the restrictions are, are imperfect, and that doesn't do anything to quell their fear, so they wait for the vaccine. And, and, and once we can have this medical marvel, and once we can have all the, all the benefits of the vaccine, once I'm personally protected, then I can, can no longer be afraid. And then, and then that fear has shown this trust in, in medicine or trust in science. That's what they look to in order to be firmly entrenched and without being afraid. And there are other camps, uh, some who would say that it's not the virus that brings about any fear or worry. It would instead be the restrictions and all the concern about the havoc that those will wreak in their lives. And they say, I have an active distrust in government or in science and medicine, and so I will look to my faith, faith over fear. That's where I'll put my trust. And again, not all of us are responding or not everyone has responded out of fear, but there has been a very distinct pattern of fear revealing what or who we trust. And as Welch mentioned, the notion of trust ties into our allegiances and who or what is ultimately enthroned in our hearts. What you trust the most 
is what is most important to you. What you trust the most is what is most important to you. I want to go back to Scripture and, and show a story that, uh, between Jesus and his disciples that, that gives a wonderful uh, glimpse of fear and trust in action. And, and this is going to be a story that we can read in Matthew 14. And the disciples were out on a boat in the sea, and then the wind was picking up, and the waves were picking up, and they were getting a little bit afraid there. And then and Jesus, who at this point had been on shore by himself praying, went out to meet his disciples on the sea. Except he didn't take a boat to get there. He decided, ah, I'll just walk on water. <laughs> so in the middle of the wind and the waves, Jesus is now walking on water towards his disciples. And as I pick up in verse 26 of Matthew 14, I want us all to be aware of the different role that fear plays in this story. Matthew 14, verse 26 and following. But when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? (laughs) Now, Peter was initially able to walk on water because at that point, his faith and trust were firmly placed in Christ. And this was an incredible miracle. I mean, up to this point, Peter as a fisherman had spent many hours on sea. He had endured different storms like he was enduring now, but he had never seen somebody walk on the waves in order to come to his boat before. It was so out of the ordinary that they were terrified because they initially thought that this was a ghost. They were only kind of put at ease when Jesus revealed that it was instead him. And so Peter knows now that this is uh, nothing to be feared. He knows this is a miracle in action. And so he is so trusting in Jesus that he gets out of the boat and he too is now walking on the water. But when he saw the wind, when he saw the waves, when his eyes left Christ and focused on the turmoil around him, his trust shifted. His faith shifted, and he was much more concerned and worried and trusting in earthly things, and he began to sink. And Jesus lovingly but strongly rebukes Peter, why did you doubt? Or the way that I think he would maybe follow up that question, why did you not continue to trust in me? You were overcoming. You were walking on water until you got overwhelmed by the reality of the storm around you. And just like Peter, our fears arise when the dangerous things of this world grab our attention and take it away from our Lord and Savior. In those moments, our trust is put to the test. And to be sure, we only have two options in this life. When we are afraid, we can either trust in God or we can trust in anything else. The problem with trusting in something other than God is that they will, these things will always lack the ability to be completely trustworthy. Everything else, all these other people that you love and will trust, they will let you down. But they too are also subject to the same storms that you are. The only one person in this life that is above and beyond the things that seek to overwhelm you is God. He is the only one that is completely trustworthy. 
as Jesus would put it elsewhere in the Gospels, there is only one firm foundation. All else is sinking sand. So church, I want us to make Psalm 56 our hearts cry when we are scared. And I'll put this verse before you, and this is one uh, that, that I love to bring to mind when I am dealing with fear. Listen to what the psalmist declares. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And that's the true question that rhetorical question that frames everything that in the way that it needs to be put so that we can be overcomers as well. Because in the story we read together, what could the waves do to Peter? Nothing that Jesus could not overcome. What can human beings do to you? Nothing that Jesus has not overcome. What does even the loss of our earthly life, what does that do for us? Nothing that Jesus has not already overcome. Now, that's a firm foundation. That is where we need to place our trust. All else is sinking sand. God alone is worthy of that complete and other trust to overcome fear because he alone grants us eternal hope, eternal life, and eternal love. So as the music team comes, we're going to sing one last song. I want us to consider during this time. Again, all of this is a a morning of diagnosis. What are you afraid of? I've shared a few of my fears. Aaron shared a few of his. What about the rest of us? Now, don't ignore your fears. Don't minimize them. Look fear in the eye. Because if you listen to your fear, they will reveal what you love and what you trust. And as we journey through this series, we want to seek to have God be the primary answer to both of those questions. And that's the direction that we're going from here. Let's pray once more. Gracious God, we know that we can overcome fear because and only because of your Son. We want to remember the good news of Jesus Christ, that we we cannot be overcome or shackled by fear because he has overcome our fears. He has overcome death. He has overcome every storm and situation that we will face in this life. And we are able to look it in the eye and to receive the blessing of peace and comfort that is promised in your Son. So God, our journey through looking at our fear begins with a relationship of love and trust with you. So I pray that we would lean into that relationship if we have already accepted Jesus as that object of love and trust. And God, if there is anyone here this morning that has yet to do that, I just pray that you would impress upon their hearts that this is tied into their fear, that the first step to overcoming is to look to you and to you alone. God, I pray that today would be a day that that relationship of love and trust begins and that fear would be pushed, repelled, cast out because of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, thank you for making time on your July long weekend to be here with us. So I'm going to give you some homework this week. And I've done this before. I'll give you a little take it home. It's always a good idea. And as a pastor, I always encourage you, but I'm not asking to hand it in. I can't give you marks or a report card. But let me tell you this. Uh, this week, if you don't do the homework, then I have just wasted your time for, according to my notes, a 33-minute sermon. This is all about diagnosis, and so I would strongly urge you to do this because uh, my answers to these questions will be different than yours, and this is going to lay the groundwork from where we go. So it's very simple. 
I want you to go home and at some point over this next week, I'd encourage you to write down your fears, big or little. You can rank them if you'd like. Uh, you, can, you can just write them in any order as they come to you. If you're someone who doesn't currently feel afraid, then you'll know things in your past or things that sometimes will pop up and bring some emotion of fear and anxiety. Big or little, just write them down. Be aware of them. And then look fear in the eye and answer the following two questions. What do your fears say that you love? What do you value, cherish, and desire the most? And what do these fears say that you trust in? Where do you look for security and uh, fulfillment in those times that you feel afraid? And so when you start to answer these questions, more and more will be clear to you, and you can bring your answers with you, whether it's in a notebook or a journal, in the margins of your Bible, or in your hearts and minds. And when we re-engage, we'll be, uh, unpack more and more about how we can get down to the root cause uh, of, of all of what we face in our lives. And so let us go, knowing that God is with us and that he has overcome everything. Have a great week.